Well, after winning the national championship for the fifth time in the last 25 years, the Yukon Huskies are being pursued by the Big 12 Conference. Could they be on the move once again? And what might that mean for the Big East? You are Locked On College Basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up? Welcome into the Locked On College Basketball Podcast, the only daily national college hoop show out there part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Andy Patton, and today's episode of Locked On College Basketball is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of the Locked On Podcast Network. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. we got a great Big East-centric episode for you today and joined here by Matt St. Jean of Road to the Garden, regular guest here on Locked On College Basketball. We're talking all things Big East. We're going to close the show, talk about Rick Pitino and the turnaround at St. John's and how it is critical for one of their very few returning players, Joel Soriano, to have a big season for the Johnnies. We're also going to look at the brand new, just hot off the presses, Gavit games, the matchups that we're going to see early in the 2023 season and what those matchups look like at this time. But we're going to lead the show talking about the Big 12 conference realignment rumors. Brett Yormark, the commissioner of the Big 12, is as bent as he possibly can be on building a basketball super conference. That has been his goal as he's kind of pivoted away from trying to compete with the SEC and the Big 10. I get it. I understand the thought process there. Gonzaga has long been a rumored Big 12 target. But now it looks like Yormark is looking east at the Yukon Huskies, the defending national champions. Easy to see the appeal there for the Big 12. Easy to see the appeal there for Yukon as well, at least kicking the tires on this as, of course, a big Big East team that does have a football program. Uh, Matt, I want to talk to you about Yukon, obviously a team that recently left the Big East and then recently rejoined the Big East. It's not like they are uh, a team that is unwilling to move out of the Big East. I'm curious your thoughts on on how realistic it would be for the the Yukon Huskies to actually make the decision to once again leave the Big East and join a conference like the Big 12. Well, as always, when it comes to the college basketball landscape, so often mm-hmm. it's dictated by things that aren't college basketball <laughs> related at yes. all. I think if you talk to people at the school, you talk to fans, you talk to people in the Big East, you talk to mm-hmm. casual college basketball fans, and they're all going to say – UConn should stay in the Big East. Right. It's a cultural fit. It's a regional yeah. fit. It's a fit for rivalries. Mm-hmm. And it's just fun. Like that, yeah. That's why we do, this is entertainment. And it's entertaining mm-hmm. to have them there. The flip side of it is the money. Mm-hmm. It's a UConn football team that under Jim Mora last season in his first year looked much better than it yeah. had previously. And there's a lot more money in football than there is mm-hmm. in basketball. Big 12's next media deal makes, I think, about... Uh, 10 times as much per, per school <laughs> as the current Big East media one, which we'll, mm-hmm. we'll see how that looks when it gets renegotiated. But yeah. it's a sizable, sizable difference there. It's tough to turn that down. I think it's very much up in the air about whether or not mm-hmm. this is going to happen. I have a quote here from Dave Benedict, the athletic director at UConn, where he says, ultimately, ultimately, until you have to make a decision, you don't know. And that's not where we currently are. Mm-hmm. which does not sound like somebody locked in to Correct. anything. 
And the full the full quote says mm-hmm. a lot of positive things about the Big East. I don't think he wants to leave, but I think there's mm-hmm. also a lot of the offer is good enough. We can't say no. Right. Well, and I think that's. I mean, so last time that the the Big East kind of fell apart in 2013, and and UConn was part of that departure, and they went to the American Athletic Conference, and they ended up coming back to the Big East seven, eight years later, in part because they didn't like the amount of travel and they, the, you know, they're like, we don't want to have to go out to South Florida and we don't want to have to go to all these far places away. And like, they would have to do that if they moved to the big 12. And on one hand, you could say, well, they didn't want to do it last time. So they're not going to want to do it again. But as you know, as I know, as many of you everyday listeners probably know, there is a big difference between being in the big 12 and having to travel, but making, as you just said, 10 times as much money for your institution. Whereas that was not the case in their previous realignment situation. So I'm with you. I think the big East makes a ton more sense uh, from a fit perspective, from a geographic geography perspective, fun perspective, all of that stuff, but money's going to talk in a really big way here. And, And as much as, it seems like, oh, if if UConn's at all interested, if the Big 12's interested, boom, this thing's going to happen. Like That's the way that people have been talking about Gonzaga to the Big 12 for months and months and months and months, and it still hasn't happened. So I, until it happens, until they're forced to make a decision, as you just said there from that quote, I would probably kind of be holding, not be holding my breath necessarily, but it's hard to ignore a commissioner who wants to build a basketball powerhouse looking at a team like UConn and the obvious fit with a football program that kind of makes this seem like something that, that realistically could happen. Yeah. And you talk about the rivalry aspect of it. Yeah. It's tough when you're playing, you know, Cincinnati, Tulsa, UCF, right. Like that every single night and you're the yeah. best team in the conference or mm-hmm. the best program in the conference. It's right. very different when, you know, Cincinnati's just coming in and you've yeah. got UCF just coming in, BYU just coming in. Right. And, you know, you're joining Houston, a program yeah. that has been excellent yeah. and Kansas and Baylor. And you're mm-hmm. not, the, the old AAC felt very much like UConn was a big fish in a small pond. Right. And the Big 12 isn't like that. And you add on the fact that I think some within that program or within mm-hmm. the school feel like, you know, they could be the the best football program in New England because of what mm-hmm. Boston College has done. And it's like, all right, if you can get money from that, then that is going to be what makes your decisions yeah. and not the basketball team just because of the money involved. So what does this mean for the Big East? I think that's kind of the next question. And, and we say this, what does this mean? This right now is nothing. So it, until it's actually something, it may not matter. But it's entirely possible that at some point, whether it's very soon or a few years from now, UConn as a program with a football team could get poached again. Like that just seems plausible. And last time people thought it was the demise of the Big East and that it was over. And like we talked about before, like that there's documentaries about the demise of the Big East. And guess what? The Big East, it survived without UConn and now it's thriving with UConn back. And if they were to leave again, it sure doesn't feel like we're going to be in a situation where the Big East is kind of like, you know, on the, on the edge of collapsing or anything like that. Is that kind of the sense you get that this conference is going to be fine with or without UConn? Yeah. And I don't think you take from the position, if you look at just the negotiating positions of when UConn came back to the big East, it was clearly they were saying, Hey, we need something better. And the big East got a pretty favorable deal. There mm-hmm. was a nice, there's a nice buyout that would come with this. If UConn does end up leaving. Right. And I think the big East, the big East doesn't need UConn. Big East mm-hmm. wants UConn, obviously, sure. but mm-hmm. as a conference, it's fine without it. You have guys like Ed Cooley and Shaka mm-hmm. Smart who have won uh, all has all sorts of head coaching awards. Sean Miller, Greg mm-hmm. McDermott, get mm-hmm. leaders like that 
plus a program like Villanova. We're still mm-hmm. figuring out what they are with Kyle Neptune. Yep. Kim English is one of the young up-and-comers there mm-hmm. at Providence. Don't forget about Shaheen Holloway at Seton Hall. So mm-hmm. lots to like about what's going on in the Big East if you take UConn out of the picture. Mm-hmm. And I, it would still be a very good conference, very solid on its own. Madison Square Garden is still going to be sold out mm-hmm. four nights in March. Mm-hmm. And you can still look for other schools if you want to. If you want to see, test the waters on, would Gonzaga come? Yeah. You can you can do that. Would Gonzaga and St. Mary's want to do it? Would a school like a Dayton, a St. Louis, something like mm-hmm. that make sense? And I think when you have the, the original 10 school, I say original, the new mm-hmm. Big East, the new 10 school Big East, mm-hmm. it's a group that can it can add things, but mm-hmm. really only if it wants to, only right. if it feels like it's beneficial. That's why UConn came back in and I think they're fine going back to 10 with an extra, another nice little buyout if it comes to that. Well, the matchups for the 2023 Gavit games were revealed on Monday afternoon. We got some really fun matchups to discuss. We also have some matchups that we're not quite sure what they're going to look like yet as we are still in the early stages of the college basketball offseason. We're going to discuss what those matchups are and what we are looking forward to after a word from today's sponsor, FanDuel. Grand Slams, no-hitters, and double plays are back, and there is no better place to get in on the MLB action than FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. That's because right now, new customers can step up to the plate with a no-sweat first bet of up to $1,000. Just go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn, sign up, place your first bet, and get up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if you do not win. Maybe you are buying the turnaround from the St. Louis Cardinals. Maybe you're all in on this red-hot Tampa Bay team. Either way, don't miss your chance to get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 when you join FanDuel today. Just go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to sign up. FanDuel an official partner of Major League Baseball. All right, folks, I want to thank all of you for making Locked On College Basketball your first listen or your first watch of the day. we got more fun stuff coming up this week. We're going to look at some NBA draft combine stuff, continue to keep you updated on the transfer portal and any players who are making announcements of staying or going in the NBA draft process and what that might mean for college basketball next season. But for now, we're still here with Matt St. Jean of Road to the Garden discussing the 2023 Gavit games and the matchups that we have coming up in these games. I'm going to just quickly go through each matchup and then Matt, I'm going to throw it to you and we're going to talk about our favorite ones and what kind of stands out to us out of this group of teams. We got Xavier at Purdue. That's a fun one there to start us off. Marquette at Illinois, Michigan at St. John's, Maryland at Villanova, Butler at Michigan State, Iowa at Creighton, Wisconsin at Providence, Georgetown at Rutgers, the three Big East teams not participating, UConn, Seton Hall, and DePaul. Matt, anywhere, any direction you want to go first here looking at these games and these matchups and kind of what, what stands out to you when looking at this group of uh, group of matchups? I think the first thing you got to say when talking about the Gavit games, it's just a, a general reminder on the whole thing. Mm-hmm. These, we don't have official dates yet, but typically mm-hmm. this series happens the second week of the regular season. Yeah. So for most of the teams playing in it, it's going to be your third regular season game. Man. So this is, this is your first test for yeah. everybody in here. It's going to be your first big game for everybody in here. Mm-hmm. And I think that sets the tone for it. Um, I look at, I think there's three games that I'm going to highlight as the big ones, but another one I think is interesting before I get into those is like a Georgetown at Mm -hmm. Rutgers or a Michigan at St. John's. You got Mm -hmm. teams with turnover. Now, now this is their first time where they have to face an opponent and a real opponent, a real quality opponent as a new group. That's where you start to learn a lot about them. 
Mm-hmm. But the three games that jump off the page to me, the first is that first one you mentioned, Xavier at Purdue, yeah, Matt Painter, Sean Miller, two of the best coaches out there. Both of these teams should be good. This should just be a really, really good game with seeding implications and March implications on the line. Mm-hmm. The next one, Maryland at Villanova. Nice little yeah. uh, metro area, Philly, yeah. Philly, Maryland type battle going on there. The Hakeem Hart Bowl, the transfer <laughs> that went from Maryland to Villanova. Yeah. This should be an incredibly entertaining game. I think it's going to be a packed venue for it, and Mm -hmm. uh, I'm just looking forward to that. And for Mm -hmm. Kyle Neptune, I think this is going to be huge. You get the home game. They lost last year at Michigan State. Now you get to come back home. You try to get his first Gavit Games win under his belt against Kevin Willard, uh, Mm -hmm. a a former Big East opponent there. So I think that is going to be an incredibly telling game for where those programs are. Mm -hmm. And then Wisconsin at Providence. These teams just met back in 2021 out at the uh, at the Kohl Center there at Wisconsin. It was a really good game, and that's where that year's Friars kind of set the tone is we're going to pick up these close wins against good teams, against Greg Gard there. Now it's Kim English. This is a Wisconsin team that could be in the top 25 when they mm-hmm. play, and it would be the first non-Big East ranked opponent to come to Providence since Minnesota did in the 2017-2018 season. They were ranked number 14 at the time uh, due to some off-court issues. That team then <laughs> fell apart after that and did not play to that ranking. Yeah. But this is a huge test for Kim English. It's probably going to be his third game coaching the Providence Friars. He's going to get a ranked opponent. You go back to his time at George Mason. His fourth game as a head coach in college basketball was a game at Maryland, a ranked Maryland mm-hmm. team where they were able to pull an upset. And he's kind of got an opportunity to do the same thing early for the Friars. And it's a fan base that's expecting a lot too. So I think if Providence yeah. doesn't come away with a win, you're going to have some people frustrated. You do get a win. You're going to definitely get the reaction in the other way if this team is Final Four bound. Mm-hmm. But either way, it should have some implications in March. Yeah, I, I think that's kind of an interesting direction to take here of like, which of these teams, Big East teams in particular are kind of feeling the most pressure pressure for this game. And, and I definitely think Providence and Kim English kind of fit that bill. It's a home game and it's a very good opponent. And, you know, we'll see if Wisconsin is truly in that top 25 at that point. I think that's very possible. They got AJ store coming in. Chucky Hepburn is a fantastic guard for them. I think this is a, a quality opponent that hasn't quite played up to expectation the last few years, but if this is the season they put it together and Providence can pick up an early win in a non-conference game at home against a team that if they're not ranked by then, that might end up ranked throughout the season, at least that's a, that's a really big win there. And I think, you know, looking just kind of glancing at the other matchups here of teams that are going to feel the most pressure here. I think, uh, you know, there's, there's a big one for Kyle Neptune too. You mentioned that game, Villanova, Maryland, like host in Maryland, it's a regional matchup. Maryland, of course, a very, very quality program. Uh, And I think if, if Kyle Neptune, kind of coming off a season that didn't go great. Obviously injuries played a big part in what happened with the Wildcats last year. And I I think that I don't know the entire pulse of the Villanova fan base necessarily, but I suspect that, you know, we're not ready to, to put Kyle Neptune on the chopping block just yet, but early season loss to a Maryland team in a heated environment at home. uh, I could imagine that would have some fans a little bit on edge. Yeah. And I think this is to me, one of the most interesting storylines of the big East for next season is just Mm -hmm. what happens with Kyle Neptune and Kim English. These are two of these regional Catholic seven programs that had cornerstone coaches that have now left and been replaced by these young up and coming guys. who are trying to revitalize the program, both in very similar spots here and both with home games against very good teams. And the second week of the season, we're going to learn a lot very early on. Yeah. The other matchup that really stands out to me is Michigan and St. John's because uh, these two rosters are just completely 
completely different. Michigan, of course, loses Hunter Dickinson in the transfer portal. They gain and then lose Caleb Love because of another admissions issue at that school back-to-back years with that, which is a real devastating blow for them. They lose Jet Howard and Kobe Bufkin to the NBA draft. Neither of those guys are coming back. They haven't made a ton of additions in the transfer portal up to this point. In fact, uh, for those of you who are everyday listeners, you know on Monday's episode that we talked about Michigan as one of the biggest transfer portal losers so far this offseason. Still some time for them to make some additions. They did bring in Namari Burnett from Alabama, who's a very talented player, but this is a Michigan team that I'm not sure what they're going to look like early in the season. And we'll talk more about St. John's, of course, to close out the show. But this is a team that, while I think they're going to be more talented and added a lot of talent, it's still really hard to know exactly what all the pieces are going to look like, how some of those guys are going to adjust to this level, all of that, how the pieces are going to fit together for Coach Patino. To me, this I don't know that this Michigan-St. John's game is going to tell us It's not going to give us a definitive answer about either team because they're both going to be in such a state of flux early in the year, but it'll be interesting to see what the takes are after this game. If St. John's, you know, hosts and beats Michigan, I think that there's going to be a whole lot of angst about Juwan Howard. And while I'm not sure it goes the other way necessarily, uh, the expectations are pretty clearly going to be high for Patino. And if he brings in a big opponent early in the season and doesn't get it done, uh, I could see that being a, a tough start for him too. Well, I think there's another angle here, too, in that I think Frick Patino has pushed for more games at Madison Square Garden for St. John's next year. The rumor is that this is going to be at the 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 rumor date right now. This is going to be the Monday of that second week in November at Madison Square Garden. That's going to be a big, big night for Mm -hmm. that game. And uh, I don't know what the first week of the season is going to look like. I don't know how often they're going to be playing in Carneseca. There's a real chance this is Rick Patino's first game with St. John's. At the Mecca. At the and it's, yeah. that's a huge environment. And mm-hmm. the issue that St. John's has had in recent years is being able to just get their own fans in that building. Michigan yeah. has a lot of fans, fans that travel, fans here in New York City. And I think we're going to kind of get some early returns on the enthusiasm around this program with mm-hmm. Rick Patino. See how many people they can get in that building. See if you can get, I don't know if you're going to get a sellout right. or something like this. But see how how well you can pack that building. and. Hopefully you can get a win with a new group, but just if you want to build a culture and you want to make Madison Square Garden your home building again, it's got to start right from the jump with a game like that. Last game here that I want to talk about real briefly is the Butler at Michigan State game. It's the first matchup between Coach Matta and Tom Izzo since 2017. It's a rematch of the 2010 Final Four game. Of course, Butler's tremendous run all the way to the national championship there. Also, the Pierre Brooks revenge game, like we mentioned with the Keem Hart. Always fun to see matchups like this. The transfer portal has allowed it so that a lot of the time you have matchups where teams are playing each other when a player has just moved from one spot to another. Uh, the only reason this game doesn't rank higher, there's a lot of fun narrative parts of it but Michigan State is probably the best team in the Big Ten right now and to put it politely Butler is not the best team in the Big East Uh, not particularly close Uh, this is a game that uh, Tom Izzo and his staff should take care of pretty handily but it does have some kind of fun narrative elements to it uh, between these two teams yeah and this is one of those like it's if Butler is on the bubble late mm-hmm. in the season, I think they're going to be very happy about how the season played out. Yes. Michigan State is a team that can be one of the better teams in the country. Michigan State's at home. Mm-hmm. This is this is more interesting for narratives than yeah. it is on the court. And I think depending on how Georgetown ends up looking early in the season, the same could be said for that Georgetown-Rutgers game, yeah. too. 
Well, I'm curious to see the dates and times for these because we could get a couple. These could be some of the late night slots mm-hmm. after some games, or they're going to going to make that the the early one before one of the better games later yeah. on. Well, we're going to close out the show discussing Rick Pitino and St. John's. We kind of touched on them a little bit there, but I want to talk more about this overall roster, the tremendous turnover that we've seen, and really just what it's like to have Rick Pitino back in the Big East where he made his name so long ago. We're going to talk about all of that coming up right after this. All right, segment three, Sony Patton's still locked on college basketball, still joined by the great Matt St. Jean of Road to the Garden, and of course, we're still talking Big East basketball here, uh, talking about Rick Pitino and St. John's, the Red Storm. There's a great article written by John Rothstein at CBS Sports kind of talking about what has happened so far this offseason for St. John's. Of course, 11 new players coming in, tons of players moving out the door. One of the most overturned rosters in all of college basketball. Not surprising when you hire a coach like Rick Pitino. Uh, But one of the players that is returning is Joel Soriano, who averaged about 15 and 12 last year for the Red Storm. Very, very talented front court player. And what Rothstein was kind of mentioning in the article was how this team has added way more shooting than they had in the past. You add Dennis Jenkins from Iona, you add Ryan Conway from VMI, you add Jordan Dingle from Penn. All those guys made more than 56 three-pointers last year. St. John's didn't have anybody who I think made over, like I think 43 was the most they had anybody on their roster last year. So you have a lot more spacing, a lot more shooters. In theory, that should help Soriano, who Patino named as a team captain before he even made all of these roster moves. Uh, in theory, that should kind of help him be even more productive next year at St. John's. That kind of You feel like they're sort of building this team around him for another go-round uh, for St. John's? Yeah, and it was when they fired Mike Anderson, mm-hmm. uh, I think what had come out was that Joel Soriano was not going to stay unless Mike Anderson stayed. And Rick mm-hmm. was, you know, coming in saying, hey, we're building around you. You're the captain. Yeah. That was his bid to keep him in the building because mm-hmm. he was the best player on this roster last year. Yeah. And it's not close. Mm-hmm. He's the type of guy who could be in the biggest player of the year conversation this upcoming season, depending on how things go and how he develops. He was that productive last year. And yeah. I think he would have gotten more attention if the team around him were a lot better because he did everything mm-hmm. for St. John's and was a rebounding machine, scoring machine. You you touched on the shooting. And mm-hmm. I think this is one of the things you go back to the start of last year and you look at what St. John's was starting. Mm-hmm. I don't know how it's possible that you have a starting five and a power conference in 2022 you don't have a single guy who shot 30 percent or better from deep the year before (laughs) brutal i didn't know that was possible to put together st john's did it last year and the returns were exactly what you would expect with that kind of roster construction they Mm -hmm. did they did get some shooting from some guys but nothing in volume which Mm -hmm. was an issue for them last year now you have a guy who can dominate one-on-one matchups down low and you should be able to put three or four shooters around him on the floor at once that alone means you are a better constructed roster than the team mm-hmm. had last year. Add in a guy like Rick Patino, who, you know, I think he's pretty good at this whole coaching thing. <laughs> he's uh, been on block he, a bit. <laughs> yeah, he has that part figured out. <laughs> and I think the team should be just much better at the fundamentals. Mm-hmm. And I don't know exactly how good St. John's is going to be, but I just don't yeah. see a world where this team is bad. The, the fact to me that Soriano 
played on a team where nobody could shoot. I mean, literally nobody around him could shoot. And he still managed to put up 15 and 12. Like that's in the big East as well. Like that's really impressive, like shockingly impressive. And I think like there's a larger conversation to be had about how we look at stats and evaluate them and how context matters so much more than we're really able to to glean unless we're actually watching the film. And somebody like Soriano, you know, being in in a, in a, you know, if he was playing at like, Gonzaga or Arizona or a, an offense that was more spaced out and more free flowing and had a lot more touches like the numbers he could put up there would be phenomenal and for so many players you never really get to see what that change might look like especially if they stay at their same school for Soriano yeah. we might actually get to see like what he looks like in a completely different environment and he doesn't have to wear a different uniform like that's kind of a fun aspect it's, of this it's amazing and i i think in an ideal world like you want to see his rebounding go down next year because it means he's getting more help it means mm-hmm. his teammates are making more shots right and life is just going to be easier in general he just didn't get a lot of help last year and yeah. they brought in david jones he was not as good as they mm-hmm. hoped he was going to be uh you got uh, aj store came on late but it took him a little bit of time to find his footing and Posh Alexander, for as good as he's been, just wasn't he wasn't getting it done for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and you add on, I mean, I was I was at the the St. John's Villanova game at Madison Square Garden, kind of middle of the season, and mm-hmm. it's the St. John's team that was literally just afraid to shoot the basketball. Villanova <laughs> was collapsing into the paint, getting mm-hmm. all, it's still Joel Soriano still gets an offensive rebound. He kicks mm-hmm. out, got guys with wide open shots who are good shooters, mm-hmm. and they're passing up looks to pass into other things Girl. and trying to drive. And I don't know how much of that was coaching. I don't know how much of that was the players, but mm-hmm. the coaching and the players are gone, so it should right. be very different. And it's, yeah, you look at, go they got Danis Jenkins, who mm-hmm. obviously very familiar with Rick Pitino from Iona. He's a very good player. He can shoot the ball. He can play defense. Um, you got uh, Jordan Dingle from Penn, mm-hmm. one of the best guards in yeah, the portal. Really yeah, he's going to be a really good fit for, I think, what Patino's mm-hmm. going to want to do. Like RJ Lewis, Sean Conway, guys are going to come off the bench. Mm-hmm. Uh, they got the transfer now from Kansas, Zuby, Ejiofor. Ejiofor, yeah. And all right, you got a little bit more size, got a little bit more skill. I think you could argue in some ways the roster is less talented than it was a year ago, but it's much more skilled, and that matters a whole lot more. Yeah, it's so many, so many new guys coming in. Like the guys you mentioned, they have Nahima Lean coming in from UConn. They got Glenn Taylor from Oregon State as well. Like, I'm very fascinated to see what this team's going to look like. I think St. John's is top five on my list of teams that I'm most interested to watch next year. I have like USC's on the list because I'm curious what they're going to do with Bronny and St. John's is on the list. I, Georgetown's somewhere on that list as well because I'm really curious how Ed Cooley's going to do over there. Uh, but St. John's, like, just such an insane rebuild, so much movement, so much change. I mean, Rick Pitino is not afraid to come in there and say, look, this is, here's what I want. So we're just going to get rid of the guys that aren't going to fit that and, and bring in players that I think will. And and I think just more broadly to kind of close out the show here, I, I, I want to talk about what Rick Pitino coming back to the Big East kind of means for this conference because this, you know it's a conference that had this storied incredible history from the early 80s until 2013 and then kind of had the the collapse and then the rebuild and is now back uh, and, and you know some of the highest level basketball in the country is in the Big East without a doubt last year they were so elite and, and then you bring in like this kind of old face this familiar face this absolute legend comes back to the conference like it just feels like poetic in a way to kind of see like the 
I don't I don't want to say rebirth necessarily of the Big East, but like this kind of coming out of this odd period that they have and then to have Patino kind of be back in the mix just feels uh, kind of like a, a nice way to wrap up the story a little bit. It does. I mean, his first he he got his start there in mm-hmm. Providence and he mm-hmm. makes that run in 87 with the yeah. Friars and that kind of catapults his career into what it yeah. ends up being. And now coming back around and in the you know, biggest city here in mm-hmm. New York City. You got Madison Square Garden. He's going to have all eyes on him. It's yeah. a cult. They, they needed a culture change at St. John's, and he's obviously mm-hmm. going to bring that in. Should bring more eyeballs, should bring mm-hmm. in more money for the conference yeah. and for that program for NIL. And, yeah. you know, it's college basketball. It, it's astonishing that in the Big East recently, three of your worst schools have been the ones in New York City, Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. and Chicago. Mm-hmm. And I'm not entirely sure where DePaul is going to be next year, but Georgetown mm-hmm. and St. John's are in better hands than yeah. they were this time last year. And mm-hmm. for a conference that, you know, could be undergoing some realignment in the future and has mm-hmm. a media deal that's two seasons away from ending, mm-hmm. that's that's a good sign. Well, Matt, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show to give us your expertise on the Big East. Uh, always fun to get a chance to talk about one of my favorite conferences in college basketball and, and an opportunity to kind of look at some fun matchups upcoming and, of course, some some potential changes in the conference down the line. So thank you again. Looking forward to the next time you get a chance to chat. Thanks for having me. All right, that is going to wrap us up today here on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Again, we got more coming your way later this week. Talk about the NBA Draft Combine, what it means for certain players who might be coming back to school, who might not be coming back to school, all of that and more later this week on Locked On College Basketball. For now, though, peace out.